Welcome to Business Talk, Sister Grok. I'm Becca, and today's podcast episode title is How to Make an Impact Entrepreneur Style. And this is actually part five in a sequential series. So if you have not listened to the previous couple episodes, you should go back and start with part one. Uh, Really good content about how to use entrepreneurship to make an impact on people's lives within your community. This week, I'm going to be speaking with Jackie Prescott, who is working with the Housing Redevelopment Authority in uh, Hibbing, Minnesota. And this is everything that she has to say. I'm going to tell you right now, it applies to you being aware of as a business owner because it's amazing. And it's something that not every business owner knows is happening in their own community. And I think um, when you are aware, then you know where to point people or you know how to support people who need employment, et cetera, et cetera. So thank you so much for being with me, Jackie. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so tell me first, uh, give me your role and what you're doing, all that kind of stuff. Well, my role is the executive director at the HRA of Hibbing. Um, What I do essentially is manage the capital and the programs of the HRA, um, the HRA Housing and Redevelopment Authority, as you said before. Um, I think a lot of people believe that we collect rent, and that's about it. I would tell you it's a lot more intricate as that, as someone, as an organization that's funded under federal dollars, we have a lot of accountability and a lot of actions that we must take. So it's a very large um, endeavor to be involved with an HRA um, due to the level of accountability that we have, mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. as trying to make a difference in the community and the people that we serve, which which are essentially low-income individuals. Yeah, okay. So firstly, like, Within that, how do you come about making, like, there's a program that you guys started, and I want to know all about it because that's one of the reasons that I think what you we, you all are doing is very different than a traditional HRA, um, So, and you're going to have to work with me on the acronyms okay. here, so <laughs> let's, let's get into this program because I think it's really important for people no, to know that sometimes people need to start here before they start with employment or before they start running a business, whatever, whatever that is, so go ahead and tell me a little bit about what you've been doing. Well, we recently have been um, engaging in the move. It's, it's under HUD. It was started actually in the 1990s, and there were um, the original, I believe it was 20, I could be off on the number, 27 agencies, I believe there were. Okay. And in 2018, Congress expanded the Move to Work program to Cohort 1, and are basically focusing on small public housing authorities. So what we essentially did was look at what it took to do that and decided it's something we wanted to do with our focus being on self-sufficiency. So prior to becoming director, I spent some time in the front of the house dealing directly with our residents and um, saw essentially that there were lots of residents that just didn't realize what there was out there for them. And most communities have a lot of resources or Mm -hmm. they're afraid to start the process. So we began the process to become a move-to-work agency. And during that process, because our focus was self-sufficiency, we started calling it move-to-wellness because we feel like we're trying to um, help people be well um, or live a better life than they had in the past. And so we launched under that move-to-wellness program what's called an empower program. And essentially what that is is uh, it's a lease requirement that someone – that our residents, um, 18 to 62, non-disabled, participate in self-investment activities. Okay, so you're saying that in order to be a part of this program, they they have a place to live, but they have to continue the wellness portion of it in order to maintain housing. Correct. Yeah, so that's a huge incentive and accountability factor 
um, to keep people moving forward when sometimes maybe it, it feels like you can't or you get stuck so you and you have the staff to be able to support where people are getting stuck, right? Yes. Well, I wouldn't say that as a government entity, we are often very short-staffed. Um, we have a lot more work than people. So what we've really done is a lot of community engagement and collaboration. Yeah, and no, I think you're that's right. the okay. key. Yep, mm -hmm. the key is getting the community involved. So we did a lot of outreach to let uh, businesses, you know, other organizations, support staff, all of that know what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. So tell me, what were the issues that you were seeing with the way housing was currently working with HRAs, and and how does this um, empower program change that? Well, I think one thing that I touched on briefly was um, there are several opportunities out there or, or programs for the people that we serve mm -hmm. that they're unaware of, or they have several barriers, whether that be emotional, physical, um, or simply they do they do not believe it's something for them. We see a lot of generational poverty, and really our whole objective was try to break that cycle, as well as help the community with a shortage of um laborers essentially yeah so we yeah have a, a potential workforce yeah and and part of that from what i was hearing from you is getting businesses involved yes and saying you guys need workers we have people that we can connect you to yes and i think a lot oftentimes what we need are people to reach in essentially to our residents so we had a couple of businesses that were really excited about that due to their labor shortage mm -hmm. um, as part of uh, the process to become an MTW agency we had to have public hearings and they showed oh, up for yeah. those public hearings and gave us a lot of input so um, that was part of the outreach you know we would send actual invitations to businesses to come and they're very excited to participate in that and potentially help us to um, produce a, a another generation of a workforce mm -hmm. um, we have lots of programming and classes, and one very important, I think, aspect of this program is not only to require it um, as part of the lease, because a lot of people are afraid, and so, or they're, you know, the unknown or change, all of that. So as a requirement, they must show up, they come in, and they meet with our coordinator one-on-one, -on -one. And mm -hmm. because we're a small PHA, we have 252 units of public housing, and then we manage 27 tax credit union, um, units, so we are relatively small. We're able to tailor or customize a program for them, and they actually get to pick their goals. Mm -hmm. um, one uh, success that seems small to us but was very, very large to the individual we so would serve, us being, you know, um, people that haven't been stuck in the, the cycle or um, mm -hmm. haven't had some of the barriers that we see, uh, we had a resident come in begrudgingly, um, sit down with our MTW coordinator and essentially let her know that like he couldn't get a job, finding out the issue was he couldn't get a social security card because the idea of going through that process was more than he could it just gave him so much anxiety he was mm -hmm. almost paralyzed mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. So she assisted him in applying for that. For his social security card, he was able to get a job, and he continues to work today. Now, this is someone who just sort of sat at home, um, riddled with their own anxiety and fear of rejection, and just having someone out there saying, I believe in you, but also having the services to connect them with, mm -hmm. um, I think was really important. Yeah, and I think that that's a really valuable thing. I've heard you say before, we're not going to reinvent the wheel. We're not going to do all of this stuff and duplicate services Correct. that are already out there. And, and that aspect of getting somebody the support to go get a social security card may not be your team doing it, but you're holding their hand to that connection so that they don't feel like they're having to start a new conversation. I don't know how many people I know that have phone anxiety, just even in the regular workforce. 
um, let alone somebody who's maybe never done this before. That's a huge barrier for them that maybe some of us would not consider. Yes, agreed. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So tell me a little bit about the pillars of Empower and, and what are the focuses within them? Well, there are four pillars, um, and the residents in the first year are required to attend four of each class under each pillar, essentially earning a certificate at the end. So our first pillar is health, so an investment in in health. We've done everything from cooking classes to um, mental health providers or, you know, physicians assisting in that. Mm -hmm. Um, We've also... We have the education component, and that could be anything from getting your GED to enrolling in college classes to, you know, working with the Career Force Center as mm-hmm. well, which sort of rolls into the employment component. So it's sort of that education employment are two separate pillars, two separate trainings. We've partnered with our local Job Force Center to have them come in and teach classes, helping them write resume, which is mm-hmm. something that, I mean, even for you and I can be very, uh, cause a lot of anxiety writing yeah. a, a resume, but having someone there assisting them, showing them the process, giving them examples, they're not on their own. And that's essentially what we're trying to do with our program, You're Not Alone. Um, our final pillar is um, financial coaching. Okay. So I think a lot of times there's misconceptions about, um, you know, why someone is low income or struggling to get by. Sometimes it's a simple um, lack of education on what that looks like. You know, we've, we're really trying to train our individuals to, to think a little bit different or our participants um, to look at more of, um, you know, the sh- the, no matter how small your savings are, it's still something that can be impactful, you know. As mm. you, and yeah. we actually were able to partner with the FAME program here. Which what's, is, what's FAME? FAME is a federal um, program okay. essentially where a participant has to have – a credit score that's not poor, I okay. guess. It doesn't necessarily have to be excellent. Excellent. We help them build that up. And what happens is over two years, they have to save $2,000. So they have a monthly deposit. And then at the mm-hmm. end of that time, and they have to have their goal set, the end of those two years, the federal government matches it three to one. And we take that lump sum of money, uh, just about $8,000, and we write that check directly to a mortgage company if they choose to buy a house. So it'd be a nice down payment on a house, the school that they plan on attending. So we essentially manage that money for them and get that money to whatever their goals are, or if they wanted to start their own business. So there are opportunities for them to essentially write their own goals and then be able to have a little bit of a cushion to help them get there. So that's sort of a, one of our incentivized savings programs. Wow. I didn't even – okay, I let's just back that up. For everyone listening right now, if you are in an impoverished situation, if you are in an HRA, if you know somebody in this situation and they're like, yeah, I really want to start a business someday, the FAME program, federal, meaning on a national scale, anybody can apply for it. Yes, there are limited spots for it. Okay, so um, maybe there's a waiting list yes, or lottery to get yeah, in? or We have two spots. There are, right now. Uh, okay. Yes, in, in the state of Minnesota. I believe it's tailored out for each state. Mm-hmm. But I know in Minnesota we have two spots right now. And actually our MTW coordinator, she runs that whole pro, our two spots and knows a lot more of it, which I think she may be a good one to have yeah. in on a podcast down the road to talk about some of those successes. But essentially – you know, we really try to do what we can to incentivize. We are looking down the road. Now, we began this program in January of 2022, so a lot of our data is still pretty immature, and we're just going by what we've seen. Mm-hmm. But we are looking at other things down the road where perhaps if someone has goals set and are, you know, obtaining them or coming to a spot, we could take some of their rent and potentially put that in escrow for them. And should they successfully graduate and be ready, then we would have 
money to help give them yeah. help them move forward. Well, and I think that that's something that um, is a struggle for some people is knowing how to manage that. And sometimes if you have that accountability of like, nope, this goes in this and you can't touch it is like, okay, I have no more anxiety about this burning hole in my pocket. Like somebody else is making sure that I'm accountable and that that can be really safe, especially for people who are um, coming back from say like struggling to stay sober or um, any kind of addictions. And that's something that like you can have more confidence that you're gonna be successful because you don't have this access. Um, and, and maybe you can speak a little bit more to that than I can, but those are my kind yeah, of- Yeah, I think so. And also um, watching it build too. You know, like I said, we're six months in, but those residents that we do have in the FAME program are just very much energized by watching their accounts grow mm, and knowing mm -hmm. that at the end of this time, because six months in, about 80 bucks a month. So they have a, probably a larger savings than they've personally seen in, in their, their lives. Yeah. yeah. I know wow. one of our participants is third generation um, of residing in public or subsidized housing. So this is a very large and exciting thing for them. But the also one really important component we're trying to help them in the financial piece would be to think about down the road how we're going to behave with our money as well. Not, um, you know, yeah. when you're when you're living in this place of just surviving, you have money, you're spending it because you need food, you need something. And so trying to help them understand the importance of saving, no matter how large or small that may be, I think is something that would be very beneficial or we know to be very beneficial yeah, that is something maybe we don't always think about. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and I think that a big area that is very valuable in what you all are doing is that there's sometimes where people do get stuck on one thing, where like they're starting to make a move towards um towards independence, and then they have their brakes go out or whatever mm -hmm. on their car and suddenly it's like that's my only form of transportation now i'm going to lose my job now i'm going to lose my housing now i'm going to lose all this so i'm just going to spend the money that i have on the things that i really wanted before i don't have any money left yes and that's one thing that we also considered in launching this program so we um, received a transportation grant so for our active empower residents, we've actually assisted several of them in things like buying bus passes, getting a new battery, getting new tires mm, as part mm -hmm. of, you know, helping them not have to use that money to fix, you know, their their transportation mm -hmm. and be able to not live in this place of paycheck to paycheck. Right. And know? that's a huge barrier for a lot of people. And I think that that's something that I think most employers don't know and and I've even I even talked to an employer who was like, yeah, I gotta I gotta call you back because um, I don't my employee doesn't have transportation to go pick up her pharmacy stuff, so I'm making a run to the pharmacy on her behalf or whatever. And it's like employers are kind of bending over backwards in a lot of ways for the staff that they have to care for them, but there are other resources that could be available so that you don't have to solve every problem, right? And I think that that's um, a really key thing, knowing what's available in your community. And knowing that those funding sources maybe do change, so keeping tabs on who's responsible for the program and who maybe knows what the most recent thing is, is really, really helpful. And have you had any kind of businesses utilize understanding of what transportation is available and that kind of stuff with you? Um, the transportation component right now, we're partnered with the county. Oh, but okay. as we're Perfect. looking to you know expand that, and we do have a couple of employers that 
are actually going to be coming to teach some classes to our residents, the HR department, to potentially get them to understand. And and we do know them just having a familiar face yeah. when they go to apply. So these mm-hmm. businesses that are interested in our empl- in our residents as potential employees are wanting to engage in these required classes and you know giving value to those residents, but also that familiarity that helps them feel more at ease when they walk in for a job interview, which we all know can be very, uh, cause a lot of anxiety. Yeah. No. Yeah. And, and so what do you recommend to other business owners who may be interested in participating in this type of program? Um, maybe they've never even heard of, um, move to work or whatever, all those different things you just discussed. Those are new to me. So, yeah. Well, right now we are um, a cohort, so we're we're essentially a, a pilot project, which we're being studied. So if things go well, then it will be launched further. But I would say if it's something you're really interested, many HRAs, especially the larger ones, may have a service component. Um, and I would say reaching into an HRA even to say, you know, we have these openings and we think we, here, these are the qualifications. We've actually had businesses sending us job openings and then we'll post them and, and move them you know, around to whomever, because mm-hmm. we do engage with our residents a lot. They are required to do an annual recertification. We're aware of their income. And oftentimes they'll let us know even before the MTW program that they're seeking employment. So I would really advise a business owner to reach out and engage with any of those affordable housing complexes, not even necessarily just an HRA, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. if they are looking for employment opportunities. And quite frankly, meet them where they're at, which would be, you know, um, we've had them come to our offices Mm -hmm. to talk with the residents to sort of remove that barrier and we've had some really good outcomes we actually have one resident who um, is getting very close in the short six months of this program to graduating outside of public housing wow six months is incredible it really is it really and I think a lot of times it's just knowing they have an advocate our Mm -hmm. MTW coordinator Diana she has a lot you know and we engage with them through Facebook through texting because a lot of times that's what works but just knowing there's someone there to say you can do this if you run into an issue, we're able to help guide through the process or connect them with someone mm-hmm. um, who would. And like I said before, many of our residents, we are aware that they're seeking employment. So if, if someone really is looking for um, an employee, it definitely would be worth it to reach into some of these complexes. Yeah. Well, and I just want to make a, a point of this, too, if you're listening, wherever you are in, in the United States. Did you just hear that she said it was a pilot program? And if it that's the case, you should take this podcast to your local HRA and say, listen to what they're doing and pay attention because if this is rolling out, we should be a part of it in our community because that's how you make a major economic impact um, and that's how you advocate for your own community. And that's, that's kind of the, the whole purpose of this podcast is in this whole series is how to make an impact entrepreneur style. And, and I'm so excited about this because uh, I know you've spoken on like a national level to multiple um, different HRAs saying what's actually happening, how can we emulate something like this in the future? And I think with the limited data you have so far, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. I yeah. mean, very few programs can say we've gotten someone from like even one person from being able to move to independence from HRA housing within six months. That's that's incredible, quite honestly. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think that they were restricted a lot of the time by their own mental health or insecurities from traumas past. Yeah, and that's part of this series that we've been discussing is the adverse childhood experiences and how they affect uh, how 60% of the U.S. labor force comes to work every day. 
And so what, what would you say is the percentage of participants in your program who would identify with ACEs? Could you get, kind of give an estimate? Uh, I would say, quite frankly, about 90, 95% of our people have had some sort of adverse childhood trauma. Wow. Um, it's a very high percentage, and I think a lot of times that's what, what brings them into um, this place of, of feeling stuck. Yeah. Um, and not recognizing that, yes, this is for you. So it's really great to be able to say, you do matter. You can do it. What do you, What is it that you want to do? What are your goals? Um, and also one thing that we all know um, is there are a lot of um, self-medicating due to mental health issues. So mm-hmm. um, some of these accountabilities and having that, like I said, familiar face or advocate for this person, we have found people reaching out to Diana, our MTW coordinator, to discuss these things. And because of our connection in the community, in some instances, we were able to get people who had never been served in mental health before in there the next day. Wow. And I mean, which was huge for this individual because they get they get so overwhelmed with what it is that whatever task it is, that sometimes mm-hmm. they don't even try. Well, and that's that I mean, anybody who's not naturally gifted in administration when you say oh you need help with your mental health here's a whole stack of paperwork right enjoy and go to this place where nobody you know nobody and um, yeah or call this number where nobody answers and you have to press eight buttons and you're on hold for 45 minutes and they still haven't resolved your problem yes like that's that's a huge barrier for a lot of people and i can see why people give up after that if you're not resilient enough to keep going because you're already emotionally exhausted i can't imagine um, trying to navigate that by yourself. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a very large task, even for someone who essentially hasn't struggled continually with some of these um, childhood traumas. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, like, I know we talked a little bit about numbers, but what have you seen so far in terms of um, education completion or sobriety, anything that you are celebrating right now that's super exciting? Well, we have a large percentage of our active participants in the Empower program who are getting their GED. We had one couple move here from another state, um, essentially who were fine not having their GED. Once they met with Diana and realized, oh, we can make this happen, you know, because we're not only assisting with the GED, but also connecting them whenever we can with childcare services, the county, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So they're actively pursuing their GED, which was something they'd never even considered for themselves. Mm-hmm. But because of the program and the opportunities, the connection, the advocacy, all of those things, um, they're well on their way to that. I feel like after this podcast comes out, you're going to have a waiting list. Yeah, <laughs> well, we actually have had a lot of people call us and say, hey, can, uh, you know, everywhere from probation to social services, um, can, can you help our people? And it, unfortunately, we really can only help our residents mm-hmm. um, because we only have, we have limited staff and resources and we are, you know, working under the federal government. So we, we certainly need to make sure that our resources are going to those residents um, right. of our programs. But what I like about what you all are doing is you're finding out who are my resources in the community that help with these specific pain points that a person has and how can we provide the space yes. for those people to receive the support they need. And, and that's far more than housing. Correct. And I think that that's replicatable within any community, regardless of if you're through the HRA or not. Right. And we want to be more than just a landlord. Essentially, though, it's very important if you're going to do these services that that person that issues a lease violation is not then turning around and helping them with their mental health. So our MTW coordinator does not really engage in any, Mm. I wouldn't say really, does not at all engage in anything lease related, even the lease violations and or potential um, evictions that could occur for not mm-hmm. participating. Our MTW coordinator is not involved in that at all. I can tell you that we don't have anyone that we're looking at an eviction 
for for not participating because we, you know, usually after one lease violation, they come in and once they start engaging in the program, we actually just remove that lease violation. It's more of like, hey, you're required. Mm -hmm. We want you to come. And once they actually sit down with her, we've had so many people just feel so much relief because initially they're anxious and they don't want to do it at all. But then they come and meet with her and they realize, wow, I get to set my roadmap and drive the car, but I have someone here who can help me get over those barriers that frighten me. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit about the feedback, because I know when you first were rolling out this program, it sounded like some some residents said, I don't want to have anything to do with dependency on wellness so that I can keep my housing. And what what did that look like as now you've been in the program for a while? Um, well, I think the way that it's going now since we rolled it out in January is the, are those residents that are up for recertification are then required to enroll and then any new move-ins are required to enroll. Ooh. So we're sort of um, like some of those people that are up for recertification in December have not felt the effects of it. I can tell you the majority are not pleased about it, but once they meet with Diana, they are, like I said, excited. So I would yeah. say I would say maybe 5% still are upset about it for whatever other reasons. And I think potentially if they were able to connect with the services that they need or, you know, the resources that are out there, that may change their mind. But it, sometimes, you know, it takes a little bit of time to sort of break through those those walls that uh, some individuals may have for their own self-protection, quite frankly. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's a huge piece. Like we kind of had talked about this in the past, and I just want to bring – uh, a little bit more light on how HRA has been affected by some things since COVID, right? Mm -hmm. There was a eviction moratorium that went out where you couldn't get rid of anyone who was traumatizing other people right. in the apartment complex and not being a good renter. And so, I mean, can you can you share a little bit about like what you saw and how that's been a problem for people who are trying to maintain sobriety and get a job or education? What does that what does that have look like for you guys? Yeah, there were a lot of uh, large issues that happened in our organization due to COVID. Um, the eviction moratorium, yes, which essentially what ended up, it looked like for us, where the good residents um, were essentially being held hostage by the bad residents. We had an instance of um, a no trespass issued on a non-resident who continued to come back, but because our jails were closed here and they were only taking um, felonies or gross misdemeanors, they were taking them out of town, they continued to terrorize the complexes. So mm. their cause... In that situation, um, and in many others, essentially the residents felt like the HRA didn't care about them. You yeah. know, um, very upset with us. It, it actually kind of tore uh, some of the the bonds that we had had with our residents, and mm -hmm. you know, working mm -hmm. through the MTW, it, it sort of removed maybe the trust they had in us. Um, and so we're sort of working that back. I can tell you now that it's been lifted. Um, you know, we're working to make it a better environment for everyone to live in. Um, I, and a lot of these units that we captured, recaptured after we were able to terminate leases of those that were not abiding by them, a um, lot of damages, a lot of costs, a um, lot of vacancies that we are working through. But overall, the peace of the complex continues to improve. Yeah. Um, the accountability component. And keeping in mind, we haven't been able to really get in those units, those apartments, for almost two years, under two years, but very close. And so we can imagine um, all of the maintenance issues that we're dealing with and the overwhelmed staff. Yeah, well, and you can't even – I mean, this is something that I just um, – with HopeWorks, when I talked to them – previously before I did a podcast interview, one of the things that I thought was so valuable that they realized was that some of their um, people that they were helping move into professional jobs, 
they can't work from home. And that's a huge problem because what if you're the first person in your family to decide that you want a job and you want to have structure and you're going to show up on time and all of that and your family doesn't understand that, when you work from home on your computer and somebody says, hey, can you go make me some mac and cheese, whatever, you're like, no, I can't. I'm working right now. They have no concept of what that means. And they're angry with you yeah. for not meeting their need in this moment or whatever and creating more trauma, more conflict because they don't feel safe to work at home. And that was happening to a lot of people um, during COVID. And I think a lot of larger employers have no idea of what it means to be trauma informed that if you send somebody home, their home environment may be not allowing them to function in their frontal cortex because they're in survival mode. Yes. And so um, understanding like if you have residents that are continuing to cause problems for other people and they work from home or they have a job that they have daycare for, but then on the weekends they can't work extra hours because no one's there to be with their kids. There's nobody protecting their kids mm -hmm. from somebody who could be uh, potentially violent or doing things within the complex that are unsafe. And, and those are huge trauma things that are fears for people where they can't they can't function past survival. They can't think about their future because they just can't even get out of like, let's get to the end of the day. Yes, and we, I actually experienced that firsthand. Um, I was at the grocery store and one of our residents um, was working there and he asked me, are you guys going to be around during this? You know, when COVID was first coming out because he said it's a totally different place when, you're, when, when HRA staff is there versus when we're not. Mm, so mm -hmm. seeing that firsthand, like, you know, he was very hopeful that we weren't going to be working from home, which we showed up to work every day. We really couldn't work from home, what mm -hmm. we're trying to accomplish. Um, but yes, I, I would say that, and that's happened now because residents who previous to the eviction moratorium we were in their units are now finding anxiety when we come because they've spent so much time in isolation and now the HRA is coming into their units, what are they trying to catch me on? And really all we're trying to do is make sure that they're having a safe, sanitary environment, environment yeah. to live mm -hmm. in, you know. So um, there's been a lot of time for, I think, people to stay in that survival mode because they have no outreach and they're so isolated. Yeah, and then your overall participation rate, from what I was hearing from when you did a presentation on this, it was around 90%, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. That's ninety percent participation rate. Is yeah, once we can impressive. get them in the door the first time. Yeah, and and that word of mouth since then, participants have been telling their friends, "No, you should do this. It's a good thing." Yeah, and wanting to bring their friends, and we're like, "Well, they can come sit in the class if it's not full to listen to you know what we're doing, but we certainly can't provide all the services we give right. our residents." Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, yeah. ah man, there's so much more here. But what do you? What are the big takeaways you wish um, entrepreneurs and business owners knew? Uh, about what's available in their community and, and what do you want to leave this with? Well, I would encourage those entrepreneurs and business people that are looking for employees to invest in, in that, engage in, in the low-income uh, marketplace with the residents, whether that be an investment or even, you know, in our instance, if someone were to say, hey, um, you know, we'd love to help with the transportation issues you're having or, you know, um, some of those monetary investments and or just come and give us the information what you're looking for because we could post that in our common areas we could have those conversations because we 
typically, and I, I do know a lot of my peers work the same, we really care about the people we serve and we want to help them to grow. So I think at the end of the day, everything, it takes a village. And so mm-hmm. if everyone could come together, let, it, let people know what it is you are trying to get accomplished and, and essentially it will come together. That's what we've seen. Yeah, well, and even like when you see people in the community and you say, oh, where are you living right now? If you find out they're living in the HRA, great. That means they have all of these resources they didn't even know about. And um, when you see people getting stuck, pointing them to the right place or just having a good relationship with other people in your community that know where those resources are so you can move that person in the right direction. Yes. And that's I think that's really valuable. So thank you so much for your time today. Yes, thanks for having me. Oh, my goodness. There's so much here. I, I'm excited to see um, if this rolls out everywhere else in the United States. And I have a feeling it will very shortly. So it's a really great, um, great program. Yeah, absolutely. And for the gawk portion of this episode today, I just want to really come back to these different things that Jackie's been talking about. There are four areas of the program, education, health, employment, and financial counseling. And they're finding external resources to meet these needs, but making sure their residents are going to the right places to get this information. And I want to come back to that data specifically about who is in the program about 95% is what Jackie estimates have had adverse childhood experiences. This is the reason why I've been so focused on understanding how businesses can be trauma-informed because these are the populations of people that really do want to work, but they just don't have the resources or the knowledge of getting to that place in their life. This is the piece that I want to point out with this that I think is really important. I have talked to a lot of business owners in this journey and asked a lot of people, hey, do you know what it means to be trauma-informed? Do you understand adverse childhood experiences? The terminology is not out there within the business workplace. There's, it's not out there, period. There's a lot of trauma-informed education going on within the school district. And I think that that's amazing that the education system has been getting it into their teachers and saying, hey, maybe this child is not ready to learn today because they haven't eaten breakfast or because something else is happening. That's amazing. But that trauma-informed awareness doesn't stop when somebody graduates high school. It doesn't stop when they drop out and haven't even gotten their GED. It needs to be something that business owners are aware of. And we're shining a light on why this can make a difference in your business. And I think Tim Van Soest with his couple of podcast episodes in this series really hit that home that there are a lot of individual business owners that have figured this out and they just didn't even have a name for what they were doing. But it is successful and it can be replicatable. And I just want more business owners to know that they can have hope in helping people who are in these places. And it doesn't necessarily need to be tons of people. It could be one person that you're investing in. But that's where change starts. And it exponentially grows as people are mentored in relationship and gain confidence in their abilities and skills. And this is something that is not readily available knowledge. There is not a lot of research done on this. There's not a lot of education to business owners done on this because nobody knows that there's a connection yet. And quite honestly, the only reason that I know there's a connection is because I've been working really hard to try to understand how I can solve this problem. 
And so if you've enjoyed this semi-investigative reporting in some ways podcast series on how to make an impact as an entrepreneur, you should give it a review on Spotify. And I will see you next week.